Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. There is an old story that uh, some of you may have heard that I hope gets us pointed in the direction of this fifth in our six-part series on uh, search and rescue. An older gentleman was in his 80s, and he was in this huge HEB store in Houston, Texas. He walked up to a woman who could have made the cover of any fashion magazine in the country, and he said, Ma'am, I hate to bother you, but would you talk to me for a few minutes? And she said, Well, why? He said, Because my wife is missing in this big old store, and I can't find her. He said, Well, how is that going to help you? He said, Well, ma'am, every time I talk to a beautiful woman, instantaneously she shows up. <laughs> oh, there she is. Thank you. If you've ever been frustrated by your inability to find lost people, this message is for you. If you haven't become frustrated in trying to find a lost person, it's probably because you haven't tried, at least lately. As we saw last week, in the biggest fishing story Peter ever told or was a part of, fish aren't looking to be caught. That's deep, isn't it? Fish aren't looking to be caught, and neither are lost people. As we saw how that parallels our search and rescue efforts. Most lost people are very happy to be left alone. And I think you've noticed that. Some of you may say, "What? Well, I thought we were talking about search and rescue. What's the stuff about fishing? Well, we have been. The search and rescue metaphor is a metaphor Jesus used to create awareness. Everyone say awareness. awareness. Jesus used the search and rescue metaphor to create awareness. But the reality of it is you, you can't live in the crisis mode of thinking of people as lost all the time. He uses that metaphor to help raise awareness. Say awareness. But what he does is also he uses two other metaphors to help move us to action. Now say action. It's important that we have an awareness that people are lost and how significant that is because it is an awful thing to be lost both in this life and also in the life to come. But what he wants to do is move us to action. And so he gives us two metaphors. One we looked at a couple of weeks ago, farming. But beginning last week and this week and continuing into next week, we're looking at the other metaphor, fishing. So that's why the fishing metaphor. We want to talk about how you, and only you, can be responsible for fishing for family members who are far from God. Or fishing for those that you work with who are far from God. Or fishing for those who are on your soccer team or who you have coffee with. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Both kinds of fishing, either fishing for the slippery, slimy stuff that, that you like to catch and eat, and also fishing for human beings, can be approached in a couple of different ways. Here's one of the pictures from last week. The first one is by accident. A lot of us think that we are fishing for Christ as a hobby, as a pastime. But the image that I want you to have this morning is that's not the fishing Jesus calls us to. Because he wants us to be much more productive than the top one. He calls us to the bottom one. 
to fishing for a living. We looked at four different points last week. Here they are very quickly. Fishing for men requires making an intentional effort. It requires going where the fish are. It requires putting your nets in the water. And it requires believing that catching fish actually matters. Now my hope is those of you who weren't here last week would take the time, 30 minutes this week, to go back and listen to that particular message. But I know many of you won't. And I don't blame you for that. I probably wouldn't either. But I really want to ask you to do that because last week's message is crucial to you understanding what's at the basis of, what's at the heartbeat of this thing we're calling Vision 2020 that our elders are leading us to. When it comes to fishing for the lost, let me ask you a question that I asked last week. Does that matter to you at all? For many of us, we'd have to answer honestly, no, it just simply doesn't. For some of us, regardless of what metaphor we use, or regardless of how many scriptures we tie to ourselves and to Jesus and about what his mission was and what our mission should be because that was his message, as much as we talk about the crisis of searching and rescuing for lost people or using any metaphor about farming and fishing, you're not interested. And part of my goal, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, is to change your mind. Let me ask this a different way like I did last week. Parents, when you think of a list of key habits and abilities you hope your kids leave home with, some aptitudes that you purposely want to example before them and train them in so that when they go out on their own, they will be able to do just this. Does that have on the list leading ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus? Now, I know learning to hit, kick, shoot, drive, catch, and throw a ball matters to you because you can't miss that in your life and trying to train them to do that. But how about searching for and finding lost people? Now, I can ask that question because the sportsmen's didn't have it on their list either. And because of that, neither of my two girls can point to a person in their life that they can say they had a large hand in seeing them come to know Jesus. And so we're working on that one still with them. I'm asking God to change our hearts on this. Let me be more specific. I'm asking God to help us repent of this. Because our job is not to prepare our kids to go to church. Our job is to prepare our kids to fish for men. That's our job. But most churches in America simply aren't. Now, they're taking care of the fish that they have, and they're hoping by God's grace we can hang on to them. But they're not fishing for many men and women outside of the boat to help bring them in. And part of the reason why they can't hang on to the ones they have is because they're not fishing outside for men and women to bring in. George Barna, who's the most respected survey taker, at least in Christian America, but probably all of America, says that over 195 million people are not Christians in America. 
That would make them the fifth largest nation in America. But he goes on to say also that 45 million of those people would come to a service like this next week if you'd ask them. Interesting. It's got me asking the question, is the reason why we don't even ask people to come to church with us is because we're not very thrilled about what we have here? Or because we simply aren't going to do that? That's somebody on staff's job. That's the elder's job. Not me. Since I've been here at Kerrville Church of Christ, it's been my goal to try to seek God for what he would have me preach and when he would have me preach it. I've not been released, I've not been nudged by God to do this kind of a series until our elders have adopted this as their agenda, and they have. If you've heard of the 2020 vision of reaching out for others as part of the agenda, then I have not communicated it well. Church, it is the agenda. It's why we have a children's ministry. It's why we have a preaching ministry. It's why we're going to expand our welcoming to the parking lot to have a ministry that begins to, to love on people as they even drive up. It's why we have any ministry here, the worship ministry, anything, is to help win people to Christ, not just so that they're there, but to send them also. You were meant to be sent. Let me ask it another way. What if 300 adults... And spending $400,000 happens again this year and you can't point to anyone who you specifically loved on enough to see them come to know Christ. Is that acceptable to you? It's not to me. It's not to me. Now I get why you wouldn't. Some of the techniques that you've observed over the years about trying to convert somebody or trying to win someone to Christ were a little bit rude. Some were a little bit intrusive. Some right now, if you think about them, are a little bit outdated. But even if you think that, please hear me, that doesn't give you a pass. It doesn't. Fishing for men isn't a diversion. If you know the scriptures at all, it's our job description. There will always be the temptation, though, to leave our network to somebody else. <laughs> because other tasks in the church are just easier. They just are. There are a lot of causes that a disciple can give himself to, to the exclusion of doing their own network. You can make EEM or any ministry that we throw money at or give money to your fishing expedition. Not enough. Doesn't release you from doing your own network. If you want to help others do their network, great. God's not releasing you from your job. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Because that was his intended purpose for all of us. Not just for a 12 that we know as the apostles. So for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing my best to minimally try to unfold from Scripture why we do this. Now, I know it says on their share, and, 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 and then it says what, but I got ahead of myself, and I have to apologize for that, because there's no way that I can point you to the what and the how without talking about the why. So I'm backing up a little bit. 
I want us to be able to share this incredibly great news about what Christ has done. But i got to know why first. So that's where we're going today. Let's dive into Mark chapter 1 and verse 16. I said Romans 3, but let's go ahead and go to Mark 1 first. As Jesus was walking along the shore of the Lake of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew, and they were fishermen. They were casting their nets into the lake, and Jesus said to them, Come with me, and I will teach you how to bring people in instead of just fish. And right then, the brothers dropped their nets, and they went with it. Let's pray. Father, you know everything about us. We can't hide the treasure that's in our heart. We can't hide the agendas and the priorities that are in our hearts. But we can bring those to you and ask you to sort through them, rearrange them, remove some of them. If you're not the priority. And if your mission for us is not the priority. And God, I can't do that. I'm nobody to do that. But if you want to use this mouth this morning to say something to us as a family, to help us be everything that you have dreamed for this church to be, would you do that, please? Through the power of your spirit and through the powerful word of God. I ask this humbly and all the church said, amen. It still stuns me. Such a short text, but it still stuns me that in a moment, these men captured a vision of a cause that was more important than anything previous they'd given their lives to. They left their nets in a moment and followed this man. They followed Jesus to learn a different casting call of a higher and different variety than they'd ever known in their lives. Jesus said, I will train you, fellas, to have a higher goal in your life than any you've been given so far. And Simon and Andrew left their nets and decided to take up some different ones. Their occupation was fishing, for heaven's sakes. Their preoccupation was fishing. If they weren't fishing, they were thinking about fishing. They were consumed with fishing. And Jesus shows up one day and says to them on a day that was not on their calendar, in an hour that they weren't prepared to see him do this, and he says, I want to make you fishers of men. Come follow me. And they dropped their nets and they went. I want you to stop minding your own business, and I want you to start minding mine, is how I hear that. So church, if you haven't considered it in quite some time, the most important business in the world is the fishing business really is. It's a search and rescue business. And Jesus is taking applications. Hudson Taylor, the well-known missionary to China, was walking with another Chinese minister. And they met a new disciple on the road. And the Chinese minister said, how long have you been a Christian? Three months? And how many people have you brought to Christ? He said, well, sir, none. I'm just getting started. The Chinese minister asked, when is a light ready to shine? When you light a candle, do you wait till it's halfway burnt before you put it into use? No, you do it right away. So, brother, you need to be letting your light shine right away. And so do we, church. Now, Jesus isn't asking all of us to change our careers, but he is asking us to change our calling. 
Because knowing Jesus personally invested in helping those men has to give us faith and hope. He'll do the same thing in helping us respond to this call. But here's the deal. Nobody becomes a fisherman by accident. We talked a little bit about that last week, so I'm not going to belabor that point. But this morning, I do want to push the football down the field a little further. I'm going to throw a little bit more of the same lure this morning to us. Acquiring a fishing mindset is not easy, especially where some of our mindsets have been set on for so long. And that's why Andrew read the scripture he did a few moments ago. Paul says in order for us to be the kind of fishermen Jesus calling us to, we've got to have a mindset that looks at the world differently. And so all of these lessons in this search and rescue series have really been leading up to this. What kind of a mindset do you want us to have? So let's read the text again. We don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. That's not what Christians do. Christians don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. Now, we looked at the Messiah that way once, and we got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anybody united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, and the new life begins. Look at this. All this comes from God who put the world square with himself through this Messiah, giving the world a brand new fresh start by offering the forgiveness of sins. But God has given us the task of telling everybody what he's doing. We're Christ's ambassadors, is the word that Andrew read a few moments. We're Christ's representatives to do just that. Those are challenging words to me. But they're... Crazy words when you think about where they came from. They came from a man who was a Christian hater. But he meets Jesus Christ on the road as he's going to lock up and possibly kill some other Christians. And he encounters someone he knew was dead. But he's now alive. And the guy does a 180. And so instead of personally attempting to put an end to Christians, he changes in a moment and begins to promote that faith to an entire world. And I ask the question, wouldn't you, Jim? <laughs> if you knew, if you knew as much as you could know anything, that, that this man called Jesus, went to a cross, just like he had predicted, was crucified by the people he predicted would crucify him, and then God raised him up three days later, just like he predicted. Wouldn't you do anything that that guy would say? Wouldn't you? And logically I go, sure, yeah. Paul did it. And he tries to write to a church in Rome. And to explain the why they need to be about this business. He writes to a group of Christians who are elders and deacons and who are showing up at church services like this and says, let me, let me remind you guys of the why we're in the fishing business. Here's the first scripture. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. He says, because all of us have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. That's the problem that we've got to establish, both in our own hearts first, but also with those that we know around us that we are pretty sure they're not Christ followers. We've got to understand that they've sinned. 
And they've fallen short of the glory of God. And part of what will help us do that, and even as we share our faith, we'll talk a little bit, about, a little bit more about this when we talk about the what and the how. The Ten Commandments comes in real handy here in talking to anyone about why they should become a Christian. Let me help you walk through something that you might walk with someone else through someday. Let's start with one of the commandments. You shall not lie. Anybody here ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Some of you right now are lying because you're not raising your hand. (laughs) How many lies do you have to tell before you become a liar? One. Okay. Number two. Anybody here ever stolen anything? An idea? Gum? Well, some of you wouldn't raise it when you're admitting that you're liars. You probably won't admit you're thieves either. I'm raising my hand. I've stolen something. All right, number three. Anybody here ever lusted? Now no one's really going to raise their hand. Especially those in the front row. They're looking back going, is anybody here? Well, the preacher's got his hand up, doesn't he? I've lusted. Jesus said this. He who lusts in his heart has committed adultery. Now, do you understand why my job is so difficult here? Every week I get up to preach to lying, thieving adulterers. Every week. It gets worse. Because what I deserve for that is death. All of us have sinned. But the wages of that sin, second scripture, Romans 6.23, is death. It's death. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid my sin debt, but he didn't pay my physical death debt, all right? I'm going to pay that myself. If Jesus doesn't come quickly, every single person in this room is going to pay their own sin debt, regardless of whether you ever put any faith in the cross or not, if it's, if it's bodily death. But it wasn't that kind of death. The death that Jesus paid a price for was that separation that occurred between God, a holy God, and you. And there is nothing in between that you can do to bridge that. Nothing. Our righteousness before God is like filthy rags, Paul will also say to the same church. Even when I'm doing good things, it doesn't doesn't create holiness in me. Only one thing creates holiness in me, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ covering me. That's it. So the wages of sin, what everyone deserves, not just you, but also those around you, is death. And if they die in this physical state without fixing that death, they're lost forever. That's where we started in lesson one of search and rescue. Disaster. It's a disaster for people to die that way. It's a disaster for them to live that way in that kind of death. And so in this series, all I'm trying to do is awaken our awareness Again, to a reality that sometimes I just forget myself. And we as a church, I know, forget collectively. That it is a terrible thing to sin, and it's a terrible thing to have to pay the consequences of that, both in this world and in the next. The wages of sin is death. But I love that it doesn't stop there. The last part of Romans 6.23 is that which is in yellow. Ah, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, we've all sinned. Yes, what we deserve for that, all of us, is death. But what is offered to all of us is the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. Now, to who? 
All of us. That's the third scripture I want you to take home with today. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, and Romans 10 verse 13. Because the Bible says this, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now I put that up there specifically for those of you in this room who are a two. Those of you who think you're too addicted. Or you've sinned too much. Or you've been gone from God too long. Or you've said no to God, I will never. And you feel like it's too much for you to be saved. Church, every one of you in here, read those words with me. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. One more time. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now emphasize that one word, whoever, with me. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's for all of you twos. It's for this two here. Anybody can be saved because of the incredible gift of Jesus Christ. My efforts can't bridge that chasm. They just can't. But the blood of Christ has. And that's where our hope lies. Most people in the world are still under the impression that what I do saves me. Not what Jesus has done. And what Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 and Hebrews and Romans 10 and verse 13 says, it's not about what I've done. It's about what he's done. Not what I'm doing. I, I can't ever go to enough EEM dinners. I can't go to church enough. I can't give enough to, to Divinity Family Ministries. I can't, I can't go out to Arms of Hope and, and, and become a house parent. I can't do enough to bridge that incredible chasm between God's holiness and my unholiness. But Jesus Christ's blood has, and so I'm going to rest mine on done, not do. Now, I'm going to teach you next week how to put that in your own terms. But I want to close by saying this. It's not about me teaching you. It's about the Spirit teaching you. It really is. In Acts chapter 1 and verse... Help me out, guys. Verse 8. There we go. Jesus said to his disciples who had witnessed a cross and all that took place there, who had witnessed a resurrection and all that that meant for them there, who had three years of, of walking side by side with God in the flesh. And Jesus said, I want you to go and wait in a room for power that's going to come. And when you receive this power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will be my witnesses. And we know the power came. We know the person of the Holy Spirit came in a very, very unique, unbelievable, stunning way. Well, all the disciples had to get trained for what they were launched to do, encouraged to do, called to do, was, was the Holy Spirit in just one person. God says now for the church of Christ in Kerrville, he's available to every one of you personally. And when he comes upon you, he will help you be his witnesses. The question is, do you even want that? Because he will help.
And you know what witnesses do? They just simply tell what they've heard, what they've seen, and what they know. If you know anything about courtrooms and what witnesses do, they don't get put up in a box to describe all the complexities of what trial they're there for, or maybe even all the complexities of life. They're in that box to just simply do one thing, tell what you've seen and what you've heard and what you know. That's what Jesus is asking of you. I'm showing my hand a little bit for next week, but that's all he's asking. That's all he's asking. And he will give you the power to do that with people who are lost. You say, well, Jimmy, I just don't naturally share my faith. That's why he's giving you a supernatural spirit. None of us naturally do it. The one who preaches before you every week does not naturally share his faith with people. I can do this ten times easier than going out there and talking to someone. My, my, my nephew came to see me. My sister listens to my sermons on, on her pentathlon bike. So, Carrie, if I say anything stupid, okay, this is, this is for you. But Carrie came to our house and she brought her son with, him, with her because she wanted him to hang out with me to hopefully hear something that might point him to Christ. When he was 10 years old, this little boy wanted to become a preacher. But he got involved in the Dungeons and Dragons games. And he got involved with some people who weren't in love with Jesus Christ and took him down a path that crushed that dream. And I don't know where it's all, only God knows where that relationship is with Christ now. And so she came by this last week and asked me to just kind of spend some time with him. And all we did was have lunch and God opened this huge door, gave me this fat softball pitch right over the middle of the plate to share a little bit of the gospel with him in a natural setting, in a natural way. And I don't know what God's going to do that. But all God asked me to do was be a witness. And the Spirit set up the opportunity. She called me for it. He gave me the words to say the opening in that moment. He did it. And he made us a promise that if, I, if you have to stand before governors and authorities, don't worry about what you have to say then. I'll help you say it. Church, if he'll do that, what will he not do for you? Part of it is... We're not asking for those opportunities. Part of it is we're not looking for those opportunities because we don't see the need to do any of it. And so I'm taking this opportunity to hopefully make us aware it's still there, whether you see it or not. The pioneer of ionology was Louis Pasteur. In his day, thousands of people each year died from rabies. Louis worked for years to develop a vaccine for rabies, and he was actually about to start trying it on himself when a nine-year-old boy by the name of Joseph Meister was bit by a rabid dog. His mother begged Mr. Pastor to experiment on little Joseph. And so for ten days, that's exactly what Joseph did. He received the shots for the very first time that any human being had been given them. And they worked. And little Joseph survived. Years later, Louis, one of the world's most recognized scientists and physicians at all of all time, died. 
And he could have had anything put on his tombstone that he wanted, but here's what he chose. Three words that were placed on his tombstone that summed up his life. Joseph Meister lived. Joseph Meister lived. Folks, if I'm remembered for anything, I want to be remembered for the men and women whom I helped live, that I had some small part in, in helping them be rescued. And I'm just asking for a family to do that with. Your shepherds are looking to you and saying, we've, we've fumbled and mumbled and stumbled trying to do it ourselves, but we're trying to get better too. Please follow us as we do the best we can to help save just one more. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning admitting that um, many of us haven't been very, very desirous. Many of us haven't been very um, caring. Many of us haven't been very available for you to teach how to fish. And we're sorry for that. We've had our own things going on. We've had our own interests. And we've allowed the, the desires and the treasures of the world to be our desires and our treasures. And we're trying to turn our gaze back on your mission and make it our focus. We can't do that alone. So Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you give us eyes to see again the people around us who are lost not just struggling with their finances, not just struggling in their marriages, not just struggling with how to parent, but who are lost and separated from you because they do not have a relationship with your son. Would you help us see? Now, would you help us care? And then I pray that you help us get trained, that you'll help teach us how we can do that in a way that is supernatural, we know, but as naturally supernatural as possible. That's not weird, offensive, intrusive, rude in a way that we can do that. That doesn't drive people away, but actually brings people into the boat. We're asking that it was humbly as we can and as honestly as we can. In the name of your son Jesus and everyone said.